0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Tuesday, December the 27th, 2022, four days left of the year. I'm talking to you as always from San Francisco, just on the edge of Silicon Valley, the right place to be, not in it, but close to it. Uh, For many people in Silicon Valley, I think these four days are gonna be celebrations. Everyone will be thrilled in tech to get rid of 2022. It's been a terrible year, I think, for many people in technology when it comes to share prices and employment and all sorts of other issues. Uh, One of the most um, intelligent and coherent thinkers on tech, particularly tech policy, is my old friend Larry Downs. Like me, he lives on the edge of Silicon Valley. I'm in San Francisco. He's in Berkeley, in the hills of Berkeley, looking down over us. He's been on the show many times before, talking about morality and technology, talking about the role of modern technology in revolutionizing business. Um, And he's the author of many, many books, including perhaps the first um, best-selling book on tech, uh, on the Internet, Pivot to the Future, uh, written uh, many years ago. And he's a very keen observer of policy and technology. He s- divides his time between uh, the Bay Area and Washington, D.C. So I was thrilled that we have the opportunity to catch up with uh, Larry. So, Larry, um, am I right? Has 2022, for many people in tech, been a catastrophic year, uh, anis Mirabilis, is, uh, to, to borrow a phrase from the old Queen of England, who didn't have such a good year either, 2022.
1: Yes, I, I saw that episode of The Crown and I thought the same thing. It's uh, a really good description of what's happened in, uh, in tech this year. As you say, I mean, not only are, of course, the, the, the stock market, uh, but that may even be the, the least of uh, the problems that uh, most CEOs of tech companies are dealing with. Uh, obviously, uh, there's a lot of unrest among users. There's a lot of unrest among policymakers. There's unrest among investors. Uh, and uh, yeah, this may actually be the comeuppance that you've been uh, predicting and calling for and agitating for for the whole time I've known you.
0: You, uh, you, you were a contributor to a book called The Year in Tech 2022, uh, Larry, which came out, I think, at the end of 2021. That's right. Um, most people are usually wrong in their predictions. What did you say? How did you predict 2022? Where were you right and where were you wrong?
1: Well, I think in that book, you know, we were really not making so much predictions as as identifying what technologies would play the most important role in business and business disruption. Uh, And certainly uh, the chapter, I'm thinking particularly of the chapter that I didn't write, but which I edited on artificial intelligence. So that, that one was a good uh, predictor. We did see a lot of, um, you know, maybe not concrete uh, business changes or or even concrete business development regarding AI, but clearly uh, the technology is moving into mainstream. It's moving into, uh, into uh, you know, sort of regular commercial use as well as consumer use. And, and I think that's one where, you know, the predictions to the extent that we've had them uh, were, were not so
0: bad. Uh, I think where we probably well, got things would wrong, fair, Larry. um, wouldn't, I mean, wouldn't it be fair that every year people over the last 10 <laughs> 15 years, people have been predicting this will be the year of AI. So at a certain point, you're bound to be right. on that.
1: <laughs> Well, it's true. And in fact, I started working with AI uh, back in the mid eighties during the first, uh, AI boom that went completely bust. Uh, this one's had its share of busts as well, but I think,
0: uh, yeah, I think this time, I think this time the fire. Is it because of OpenAI and Chat uh, GPT or other other developments in AI which make it finally 2022 the the year of AI?
1: Well, that's obviously the one that's caught people's attention recently. There are also some really fascinating uh, developments in in you know an art world in terms of uh, AI generated artwork, which has gotten people's
0: attention. Well, but that's Golly, which also came out of the OpenAI stable. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, you know, But the real, it, it, this just goes back to, to what we've been talking about since we met. Uh, AI was always just waiting for enough horsepower, enough computing power, enough uh, cloud uh, assets and so on. So it's really just Moore's law. I mean, back again, as I said, back in the 80s when I first started working with, with early expert systems technologies, uh, there just wasn't the computing resources and certainly not at the, at the right price to do the kinds of intense calculations needed Uh, to have machine learning and neural networks and all the things that we're getting now. And uh, it's really just a question of price performance. Uh, We've now sort of reached that for some of these applications that have been waiting in the wings for a long time.
0: You mentioned uh, uh, Moore's Law, um, Larry. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with a new book by Chris Miller uh, on the chip war. Mm-hmm. Um, from Tufts University at won the financial times book of the year I actually talked to Chris this morning mm-hmm. to what extent particularly given your expertise in policy both uh, within DC and internationally to what extent is Biden's shall we say pivot to the future in terms of or pi- pivot away from the future perhaps in in terms of his trade war in China particularly on chips is that contributed to um to the, the 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 defining features of 2022.
1: No, not yet. I mean, the the Chips Act, which is you know, uh, was a really interesting piece of legislation. The idea is to rebuild the American semiconductor industry, but rebuild is the operative word. Uh, so much of it had left uh, for China and elsewhere, uh, and even with a very heavy government investment, it's going to take years before we'll actually see any significant. Uh, change and any significant uh, change in, in the reliance on uh, non-U.S. chip makers. So I, I think it's a, it's an interesting development, but it'll be years before we actually know whether it is a step forward or a step backwards in terms of uh, computing and in terms of trade.
0: Larry, you joked, or you half joked, my, my vision was finally being realized in terms of harnessing, controlling big tech. But i always called for regulation you and i have often debated that i'm not sure 2022 was as much a year of government regulation as a year in which technology disintegrated in terms of crypto in terms of the behavior of men like elon musk on a regulation front not much has happened
1: that's right yeah no congress of course Uh, And particularly in the U.S., now in Europe, which we can talk about, it's a different story altogether, lots of developments there and some of them quite significant, as we'll see in the coming years. But, yeah, in the U.S., lots of legislation proposed about privacy, about antitrust, uh, about crypto uh, currencies and and EFTs. None of it passed. Uh, Of course, it's not a big surprise. Congress these days, uh, you know, certainly in the last decade has passed very little substantive legislation on any subject. Uh, And particularly when it comes to tech there's just so many different interests and so much splintering of interest even within the major parties um, that it's not surprising but you know where we did have significant changes in the courts uh, a lot of again not necessarily directly related to tech but in some of the supreme court cases uh, that caught all the headlines uh, last year about you know gun control about uh, reproductive rights and uh, so on um, there's been a big shift in American law away from Congress, away from the uh, the, the sort of lawmaking power of Congress, and a big shift away from the regulatory agencies, the SEC, the FCC, the FTC, have all been significantly uh, hampered by some of these Supreme Court decisions. And the real focus in the U.S. is now shifting to the states. So what you've already seen, again, California, uh, Texas, uh, Florida, different ways, but lots of uh, tech-related regulation Uh, Some of it is so far out that it's immediately getting thrown out of court, but some of it is sticking and some of it will stick. And what we'll start to see is that the states will become a much more significant, excuse me, a much more significant source of regulation of tech than the feds ever were.
0: It's a really interesting observation. I want to come back to it, but let's just go back to the FCC and the FTC. You're Again, you have the patience and the persistence <laughs> to understand these different groups. Uh, a lot of us are mystified. Um, Biden, when he was elected, appointed some quite radical figures within the FCC and the FTC. What has happened?
1: Well, on the FCC, his, his radical appointment never got confirmed. Uh, 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 Gigi Sohn, who you and I both know, we've known her for years, um, she could not muster the, enough Democratic votes in the Senate to get confirmation, and that nomination is now dead. He'll have to renominate her next year uh, or nominate somebody else. So the FCC's actually been operating with two Republicans and two Democrats, which means no significant uh, regulatory act. Uh, uh,
0: usually, I, I've always found her personally a very charming person. I'm not sure I'm so much in agreement on her politics, but what particularly angered Republicans are on, on the sewn front, the Gigi sewn front.
1: And we shouldn't say just Republicans. There are a number of Democrats who would not, uh, would not confirm that they were really ready to vote for her. Um, you know, she's led a lot of, uh, of advocacy groups. She's been involved uh, with a lot of, you know, Progressive, maybe far left, if you depending on your point of view, uh, having to do with uh, the regulation of television. Regularly, she's you know there were some old quotes that were dug up where she said some very unkind things about Fox and uh, Fox News and whether or not it should be censored. Uh, and uh, the broadcasters uh, were concerned about that. And you know I think just generally she was a, a, a sort of a pill too too big to swallow. Uh, for a couple of the most moderate Democrats, and that's what really uh, sunk
0: her nomination. And what about on the antitrust front? A lot of talk mm-hmm. when Biden came in. There was this imagined alliance between Ted Cruz and Donald Trump and Elizabeth Warren and, and Bernie Sanders. None of that ever got realized, either.
1: No, the legislation no, went nowhere. But on the on the FTC and the Department of Justice, you know, he did appoint uh, some very strong. Uh, uh, pro-antitrust and particularly pro-tech uh, antitrust applying new theories about uh, market power and market dominance. Uh, and uh, and the FTC and the Department of Justice uh, brought cases uh, and lost all of them. And uh, including, of course, in the upcoming case regarding Microsoft's uh, attempted acquisition of Activision, uh, they've announced they're going to sue to block it. They're going to lose. And by the way, they know they're going to lose. The point of all of this is that the legislation uh, defining you know what constitutes a a unfair competition or what constitutes monopoly behavior this has not changed Uh, and until it changes it's all well and good for both the department of justice and the federal trade commission to say we're going to pursue a new theory but the courts will continue to throw it out on the very sensible grounds that congress has not given them the authority to pursue a new theory and until congress does they're going to lose all their cases. Uh, They're going to continue to lose all their cases.
0: So it's all theater at best, slightly absurdist kind of theater where they talk big, they go after Microsoft or Facebook and they lose in the courts. It's absurd, isn't it, Larry?
1: Yeah, it is. Yes, I think it is. Um, But it's not entirely fruitless in the sense that bringing these cases uh, does send a signal, uh, not just in tech, but elsewhere, that uh, mergers and acquisitions uh, are not going to be uh, rubber-stamped. Uh, and particularly in some of the cases that they have brought and lost, they were able to nonetheless get some serious voluntary concessions, if you will, from the parties, either to head off litigation or to settle the litigation. So it's not as if they got nothing. They just certainly didn't get what they were looking
0: for or what they said they were looking for. Do they also, it seems to me that they have a problem with timing. They seem to always pick on the tech giants that are in trouble so for example going after Facebook seems to me as a potential monopolist seems entirely absurd since it's not even clear what Facebook's business model or their or their what part of the economy they're in so (laughs) uh, whereas the the really dangerous players Amazon and Google in particular seem to get away with murder is that fair
1: Well, it, it, I well, no, I wouldn't. Sorry, I wouldn't constitute anything as getting away with murder. In fact, uh, the well, the i Amazon meant that metaphorically,
0: Larry. I'm not <laughs> suggesting that uh, that anyone is actually committing murder.
1: Well, we don't know, but um, look, I'm not Gigi's
0: Sh- Gigi <laughs> son.
1: The thing is that that, and this is what, of course, I've been saying uh, all along. Is the biggest problem with regulating technology is that the regulatory process, including litigation, including legislation, including uh, agency regulation, whether it's a federal or state level, takes a lot of time. It's a slow, deliberative process by design. It's never going to be fast. And of course, the technology world, the markets in particular, the products and services that consumers like or don't like, uh, they change very, very quickly. And so by the time you have brought a case, again, we could go back to the sort of uh, the, the, uh, the benchmark here, which is the Microsoft antitrust case, you know, way back in the 80s and 90s, um, by the time you got to court, the market has changed, the business has changed, and particularly the technology has changed. And so a lot of times what you thought was a very strong argument or a strong case uh, evaporates just because uh, time has passed. That's not going to change.
0: Although, to be fair, I, you and I have had this argument before on the Microsoft front in the 90s, It did hobble them. It did force them Mm. to take their eye off the ball. And it did allow for the growth of Web 2.0 companies like Google. It's sometimes hard to imagine that the Internet wouldn't have essentially been Google uh, or Microsoft.com had it not been for that antitrust case. Um, Has there been any significant federal regulation on big tech? uh in 2022 apart from the failure on the microsoft um uh acquisition the merger
1: no uh, so the short answer is no nothing significant passed no significant court cases uh no significant uh, regulatory uh changes were made or at least that that, that
0: survived so what are guys like you been doing sitting in your bedrooms i hope not <laughs>
1: Well, some of us have been agitating or advocating uh, to keep the status quo. So we did a, we had a great year um, from that standpoint. Some
0: of you can afford to spend six months off and have your house uh, redesigned? Um, Larry, what about on the European front? I know that you're no great fan of Margaret Festiger, but she does get stuff done. I mean, whether you like it or not. Yeah, and I, I, I wouldn't say that I'm not a
1: fan. I'm not a great fan. But um, no, the Europeans, have, of course gone their own way on tech uh, for a very, very long time, really since the dawn of the internet. Now, uh, some people, including myself, see a lot of the the laws and the lawsuits that they've successfully brought. They do manage to get antitrust suits uh, resolved in their favor. Uh, you could see a lot of that as well. The Europeans don't have their own tech giants. And one of the ways they deal with uh, the, the economic reality of that is they, you know, bring these billion-dollar lawsuits against U.S. companies and win, and then they get the money, at least, if they, even if they don't have the, uh, the companies t- to do it. But that's not all of it. I mean, I, th- I think that is part of it. But, but beyond that, you know, Europe has a very different view, particularly about privacy uh, to, and about competition, and they have been pursuing that view. And it has led to changes in company behavior, thinking particularly about uh, Apple and Microsoft and Intel as well, uh, and that change in behavior doesn't just affect how they practice business in Europe, it does affect their worldwide operations. So in that sense, yeah, the Europeans have been successful in uh, in changing uh, some aspects of the tech industry, but certainly not to the extent, I think, that they wish or that they expect.
0: I mean, to what extent, and this is rather like talking about AI as the future, at what point and to what extent will the tech sector in Europe on a regulatory uh, basis, to what extent will it be a a parallel universe to America? I mean, you can still, I go to Europe all the time. Mm. You can still (laughs) use Amazon and Google and Facebook and Twitter. It doesn't seem to be any different from a user's point of view. You have the right to be forgotten and you have to fill out more forms, but basically it's still the same thing, isn't it? Yes, I
1: think that's right. Of course you do have, you know, the annoying uh, cookie notice that now you see on every website in every country all the time every time you go to a, a new site or you go to a new use of course that we can thank the europeans for and you can decide whether or not that the trouble there is uh, is is worth the knowledge that you've you know affected how and what kind of information they're collecting but you're right by and large the internet has not splintered um the europeans i don't think are trying to do that I don't know that that's the case, again, as I said before, about how the states in the United States, the individual states, uh, if you ask the the legislature and the governors of Texas and Florida and, to a certain extent, California right here, uh, I think they would like to see very different internets in their states than elsewhere. And depending on how some of these uh, new laws and some of the court cases uh, challenging them, how those go, uh, you might see a very different Internet in Florida in particular. Uh, than you do uh, anywhere else yeah so,
0: so let's come back to I think the most interesting thing you've said you, you've observed about 2022 this fragmentation the increasing um, state power when it comes to take policy of course you've got on the one hand California under Gavin Newsom a frequent guest on this show and then Florida under Ron DeSantis who for one reason or other hasn't been on the show are those the two polar opposites when it comes to policy and design and focus and and how does Texas fit in?
1: Well, I don't, I don't know that, I don't know that Florida and California are polar opposites in some senses. Of course, uh, California has some of the most rigid uh, and complicated privacy regulations anywhere in the country, uh, thanks to, you know, some early uh, privacy regulating, the legislating that went on in California. And in, in some sense, that's that's something that crosses um, political boundaries. So I suspect if you if you ask the governor of, of Florida, would you like the privacy regime that California has enacted, uh, you wouldn't get an immediate no, or you wouldn't get a you know, sort of a reflexive no. So in some sense, they, they're on common ground. But uh, in other ways, of course, they're not. Uh, Texas, uh, yeah, Texas is, I think, you know, with Florida. They have not been as bold in terms of some of the, the, the laws that have been passed in Florida. Um, but I think, you know, to the extent there is a sort of Republican-Democratic divide in tech, uh, and it's hard to say what that is exactly. You know, they both don't, both both Republicans and Democrats at the, at the margins in, in particular would say to you that the problem with tech is that they control too much information and they determine who sees what. But when you get down to you know what they mean by that they really both mean the same thing but in a different way republicans you know don't like the perception that their message is being interfered with and then sometimes democrats don't like that message either uh, so they both want to make changes but they really both want to make changes that sound the same but are so different that that's why none of the privacy legislation none of the antitrust legislation uh none of it passed because even though there were republicans and democrats on both uh supporting both those sets of bills they were at the margins and that the the sort of the mainstream republicans and mainstream democrats are still very hesitant about tinkering with frankly the you know the part of the u.s economy that has done the best in the last 10 years even during the the uh, pandemic and now you know post pandemic yeah um,
0: and uh, and the and 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 florida is doing its best attempt silicon valley entrepreneurs to go from Palo Alto or San Francisco to Miami. When I had Chris Miller on the show actually earlier today, he talked about the power of the cloud and of Mm -hmm. companies like Google and Amazon, which essentially control Mm -hmm. our digital economy through their servers. Are companies, uh, are are states like um, Florida and California, are they, is the goal of their regulation tech companies? It's not consumers, right? Right. They're trying. Yeah. I mean,
1: they're trying to regulate the companies themselves uh, and uh, and what they
0: perceive to be the consumer experience with those companies. And what areas in particular is it on the cloud front? Is it the use of data and privacy? Is it taxation? So it's mostly it's mostly I'd say, you
1: know, privacy is high up there. uh, And certainly the uh, the collection and use of consumer information is high up there. Uh, We don't really see yet in terms of uh, cryptocurrency and things like that. But but watch New York there. New York is sort of historically. Yeah, well, given
0: what's happened with our friend or Sam Bankman fried who's uh, Mm -hmm. both his parents taught my wife law at Stanford. God knows what kind of law they were teaching. But um, I'm assuming that crypto is just essentially disintegrated on on, on the. on that front, I mean, if 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 Newsom or uh, or DeSantis become too dictatorial, mm. the companies can just move. They can they can move to Texas or Arizona or Alaska or wherever they want, can't they? Well, that's what we always say,
1: but the reality is, you know, ties are very hard to break. I mean, look at Disney. You know, they announced um, a year or so ago that they were going to move uh, sort of key pieces of their Imagineering. Uh, company uh, to from California to Florida, because it was a more favorable economic uh, place to to do business. Uh, and, then, of course, in the midst of that move, you know Florida basically declared war on Disney uh, in very significant ways. So now they've they've undone that. Now they said, well, geez, California doesn't look so bad after all, and they're going to stay put. Uh, that's the kind of thing you know, moves take a long time, especially you know of significant corporate uh, staff and and headquarters. And in the process of, you know, going through that, uh, it's very distracting for the company uh, and things can change. And, and in this case, the politics have become so partisan and, and so polarized that uh, it's very, you know, dangerous to say, you know, we're going to put all our eggs in one basket or even one region of the United States because you never know uh, when, uh, when, you know, a more unhinged Person will take office or and and suddenly all bets are off in terms of what you expected the climate to be for business.
0: Speaking of unhinged people, Larry, uh, Elon Musk has been in the headlines throughout the year. He's for better or worse, seems the person of the year. Um, and he probably should have got the award over the president, uh, over, over uh, <laughs> Zelensky. But you say it takes time to leave. Um, I think Musk could just decide over a weekend to move Twitter from San Francisco to Miami if he, if he wanted to. He'd probably just put everyone on his private plane. he's hardly got anyone working at Twitter anymore anyway. Uh, to what extent are the states in the context of a company like Twitter trying to regulate what they can and can't publish? Twitter has been in the headlines throughout the year in terms of <laughs> fake news and what it can and can't publish and who it can and can't publish has there been much regulatory uh attention either in california or or florida to content
1: yes um the answer is yes not successful so uh, florida did pass a law uh earlier uh, in 2022 uh that purported to regulate how moderation was allowed to be done or not done particularly Again, this uh, perception that Republican voices were being uh, silenced or or otherwise censored, uh, that bill uh, was immediately uh, enjoined. Is there any the truth
0: election. to that? By the way, Larry, you're about as centrist as you can get when it comes to politics. I, Do the Republicans have a have a point?
1: No, I, I don't think so. I think you know a lot of this evidence is uh, is either uh, you know uh, proprietary or under seal. So I can't say that I've seen everything. And by the way, the same is true about about the the, the supposed threat of of Chinese tech companies. All of that evidence is considered uh, considered classified. So whether or not it's true or not, I don't see how anybody who's not subject to the classification would know. But uh, from what's certainly public, no, the Republicans uh, don't have a a strong argument here uh, in terms of the idea of differential treatment. Uh, I I don't think that's the case, but they're using it, of course, obviously, uh, as a uh, as a lever to try and get uh, attention and get their way. Mostly, as you know, what holds up any kind of state regulation of content and content moderation is the Section 230, the U.S. uh, federal law.
0: Yeah. And and
1: there are are two Supreme Court cases, of course, that are going to look at the contours or the the um, the limits of Section 230 depending on how those cases come out next year. Yeah, I um, want to get to that in uh,
0: 2023. So I just got one more question. Actually, two more brief questions on 2022, and then we'll come to 2023. Sure. Um, The first is, uh, um, it's still, I guess, conceivable that the, the presidential election in 2024 would be between Newsom and DeSantis, but they have very different opinions on Uh, Information and and COVID, in particular, has that? Have there been attempts either in California or Florida to regulate that? What you can and can't say about COVID and education policy, particularly in Florida, what you can and can't read, and how has that played out in big tech?
1: Yeah, I don't. I I don't know that anyone specifically uh, tried to uh, regulate. uh... COVID disinformation in particular, obviously on the education front, Florida uh, has passed laws about uh, um, sexual orientation, uh, not only about what you can do, but what you can say. Uh, no one expects, again, that those are you know, mostly rhetorical gestures. The courts will not uphold them. They're pretty, they're pretty straightforward violations of the First Amendment, which is not just federal law, that's the federal constitution. And so even Congress can't uh, do anything about that. So, it's not expected that those laws will, uh, will get very far in the courts.
0: And very briefly, Larry, I know you're not an expert on China. We've done many shows on China, including last week with Orville Shell, one of America's mm. great observers of China. While, while America has dithered and Europe has huffed and puffed, are there any profound changes when it comes to Chinese tech policy, or are they as authoritarian as ever? When it comes to the control and mobilization of its own industry,
1: they are as inscrutable as ever, I think uh, is probably the right uh, word for it. We don't know. I mean, so much of it uh, in terms of even just ownership, uh, uh, you know, how these various uh, organizations are interlocked and intercreated, it's very difficult to say. Certainly in, in the last couple of years, you know, physically, China has been essentially closed. Uh, And so I I think, you know, uh, we don't know. Uh, It it Uh, may be that there are others that know better than I do. But from my standpoint, I would say it's a big question mark.
0: And TikTok, is it significant in terms of regulation, shutting down, Americanizing, or is it just a distraction like so much other chatter in the United States about China?
1: yeah, I think probably more of the of the distraction than anything significant. Again, there are claims that uh, that, that uh, TikTok is sharing information with the Chinese government, its owners. Um, that, inf- that, the, that the knowledge or the data or the evidence of that is classified. Uh, so if that's true, which it could certainly be true. Uh, we, you and I wouldn't know. but clearly, um, the states and the feds have made some, Changes. They've, they've, you know, they've outlawed the use of TikTok on on government-owned devices. Effectively, you're, you know, if you're a government employee, you can't use it on your cell phone if it's a it's a government-issued cell phone. In terms of coming right out and, and banning it, um, of course, there was a big breakthrough last week in these ongoing negotiations about transferring a fair amount of the control of the data uh, from uh, ByteDance to Oracle, which is considered to be a, you know, sort of U.S safe third party Uh, and that seems to have placated the feds enough that uh, a lot of the rhetoric uh, died down in terms of the more extreme measures of banning it uh, outright Um, but we'll see you know the fcc one of the things it has done in the last uh, two years even with just a 2-2 stalemate uh, they have been sort of going on a, a long list of chinese companies whose equipment is not allowed to be used in any federally subsidized or federally funded broadband programs, that list gets longer, uh, and it does have bipartisan support. So again, they may have evidence uh, that we don't have in front of us uh, to say that that's uh, important for national security.
0: Let's move on then to 2023. As I said, you were a contributor to the year in tech 2022. I don't think you're contributing to the Harvard Business Review book, the 23, but if you were, Larry... Any predictions? I mean, I I want to get on to Section 230, but before we get there, any uh, more sort of meta themes for 2023 when it comes to regulation?
1: Yeah, I think uh, so. A couple of things that will certainly uh, attract people's attention in the new Congress, let's say, although, you know, because it's split uh, Republican, Democrat, nothing will probably pass. But I expect there'll be a fair amount of hearings about two subjects, which we've already discussed. One is AI, uh, you know, good or bad, and so on. Uh, Is it an existential threat to humanity? And uh, and that's, you know, that'll be one string of of conversation. And the other will be about cryptocurrency and obviously the meltdown uh, that occurred last year. There will be, I think, some significant calls for, again, either federal or state uh, intervention in, uh, in the crypto markets. Uh, and whether they go anywhere, you know, maybe the Federal Reserve, maybe the state of New York uh, may be able to get uh, sort of a, a, a beachhead uh, in in some of these markets. But uh, as far as something comprehensive, like the creation of, of a new federal agency just to regulate that technology, that seems very unlikely.
0: And who's arguing in, in favor of maintaining the deregulation of crypto, given the the tens of billions of dollars that have essentially been stolen in 2022.
1: Presumably the thieves, are whoever well, they the are. The thieves,
0: hopefully, are in jail, some of them anyway. I mean, yeah. Bankman Freed, he may have spent all his money, uh, he, 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 shall we say, redirected, um, he behaved as if he was the government, redirected everyone's money to political parties, but... His history now, at least in terms of his political influence. What's the argument for not regulating crypto?
1: I I think it's the same argument that that has been made all along for not regulating any emerging technology, which is no matter how chaotic and messy and in this case criminal the market might be, uh, a slow moving government regulator with no experience in the technology and no experience in the market uh, would do a worse job. Uh, and it, it's sort of a, a lesser of two evils, I guess. In, in I mean, this how case, much
0: worse of a job can you do than <laughs> Sam exactly. Bader?
1: As I was starting to say, it's a lesser of two evils. And in this case, the lesser evil is still pretty darn evil. So uh, it may not I mean, be. Even, even, may you, not Luke,
0: even you, who's generally very skeptical of, of, of government regulation, I mean, you you must recognize the need to yeah. rein in some of the the absurdity and criminality and, and and juvenile nature of this market uh,
1: without any doubt I, I agree it is definitely time for both federal and state oversight of crypto markets now how much and what form it takes um, that's another conversation but yes i think we are definitely in need uh, of banking regulation effectively for what is become a, a banking
0: a sort of shadow industry well larry you've earned the right to talk about your favorite subject, Section 230. <laughs> it's an ongoing debate. We actually had a show with Jeff Kosov, who has an interesting new book out on Section 230. Uh, it's however many words, 50 words that change the internet. Uh, but every year, it's like AI. Every year we talk about Section 230 being changed. 2023 <laughs> could be the year because. As you mentioned earlier, there are a couple of um, imminent cases in the Supreme Court that might change everything. So perhaps you might uh, explain what is about to happen on the on the Section 230 front. And you might very briefly just remind our, our viewers and listeners what Section 230 is.
1: Sure. So Section 230, which was uh, inserted as part of the big uh, deregulation of the telecoms industry in 1996, at the dawn of the commercial internet, uh, Section two hundred and thirty is a provision that says anyone who's operating any kind of internet service—that could be a website, that could be you know a blog page, that could be uh, the the communications infrastructure itself—anyone dealing with that um, uh, is immune from uh, lawsuits involving the actual content provided by third parties. So if a user posts something that's libelous or uh, or otherwise uh, would would break the law. Obviously, the user who's, who's executed the, the, the speech uh, can be held liable, but the person who hosted it or transmitted it uh, can't be held liable. Uh, and there are exceptions for this for copyright. There are exceptions for this if you've been notified uh, that you're hosting content that is uh, illegal in some ways, then you are responsible for taking it down in a timely manner, uh, as you see Google, for example, doing on YouTube uh, with copyright claims. But uh, by and large, uh, operators of Internet or interactive services, as the law calls it, uh, are immune from direct litigation involving the content provided to them by their users. So it was the
0: the get out of jail card to get out of jail free card for startup Internet companies in the late 90s in the Web 2.0 period, which allowed and continues to allow Facebook and Twitter to allow their, their users to essentially publish anything and not be sued for it. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, that's right. Again, you know, with these caveats about notification and takedown. Uh, but yes, they are immune. No,
0: they're, huge they're, it, gave, it gave these companies or it has given these companies a um, great deal of advantages over traditional media that still don't have their own Section 230. So what might change in 2023, Larry?
1: Well, of course, you know, one never knows even how, even if the Supreme Court uh, agrees with uh, one party or another, uh, that doesn't necessarily translate to a particular ruling or a particular, you know, sometimes they're very narrow in their rulings, sometimes they're very broad in their rulings. But they are looking at questions about third party liability, uh, how far it can or can't go. Uh, they are looking at uh, some of the, uh, the sort of uh, marginal cases or the extreme cases. Uh, of moderation. You know, one of the things that's not talked about so much with Section 230 is in addition to giving you that protection, as you call it, the get out of jail free card, it also gave you the privilege or the permission to moderate content uh, as as you want. Uh, So it was something, of course, the government can't do under the First Amendment. But uh, Google can not only uh, allow anything to go on YouTube until they're told it's a violation of copyright. Google can also decide
0: We don't want recipes. We don't want cooking shows. We don't want... Or Musk can decide whether or not he wants Donald Trump to have a Twitter account. Absolutely. There's
1: nothing... uh, Again, even if Section 230 didn't explicitly give you that moderation right, the First Amendment uh, almost certainly did anyway, but it's explicit in Section 230. And that's one of the things that Supreme Court will be looking at is, well, what happens if you do decide to moderate? Does that lessen your immunity uh when something you you know decided to not moderate uh again it's say it's an Airbnb listing that has uh you know racial discrimination uh, in it uh, a violation of local law state law and federal law uh, if you've moderated some content but not other content does that change the nature of your immunity
0: when kosov was on the show uh uh last month um he he he, he predicted that um this youtube or um uh this this case over isis against youtube google would be interpreted by the supreme court in a very narrow sense perhaps very briefly you might explain what the case is about and what the real damage at least to big tech could conceivably be and then of course what you expect things to 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 work out as
1: so if I'm remembering the, the, the diff- specific of that case correctly, it's uh, obviously someone who was a victim, of, or you know, a family member was victim of terrorism, uh, and they are suing YouTube for allowing uh, uh, ISIS to publish, whether directly or through their proxies, uh, various videos uh, encouraging terrorism or showing acts of terrorism. Uh, again, it's a fairly straightforward. Uh, Under Section 230, it looks like a very straightforward case. No, you're not liable. You didn't publish it yourself. Uh, You took it down when you were informed of its illegal nature uh, in a timely manner. So um, the Supreme Court, you know, but but some of the justices, uh, I think, have suggested that they don't believe Section 230. You know, they're looking for a way to invalidate it. Uh, uh, I'm not sure how exactly. I haven't seen the briefing schedule yet for this case. Um, but I suspect your guest was right that the most likely outcome, if they do agree with the, with the plaintiffs suing uh, YouTube, uh, it would be a fairly narrow ruling. For example, it might be limited to cases of extreme terrorism or violence or showing actual decapitation or something of that nature. Um, and, I if- they, yeah, and I don't
0: think they have any evidence or they even claim to have any evidence. Is this then, from your point of view, not really an existential threat to big tech, particularly to Google?
1: I I would not say, you know, this is the thing. Uh, I worked, uh, as you may recall, uh, for a glorious year in the federal courts after law school. I was law clerk for the chief judge of the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit, uh, Richard Posner. And uh, Richard Posner always used to say, you know, anytime he saw a decision or a draft opinion uh, where it said anything along the lines of, never has it happened in American law, dot, dot, dot. His instruction to his clerks was, go find the case. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> where it did. And invariably, you know, so the bottom line is never say never in American jurisprudence, there will always be the case you didn't expect or a decision that will go far beyond uh, what anybody anticipated. The Supreme Court has become increasingly political, I think is, uh, is a fair thing. Right to say. On,
0: and How do you expect this to break down politically? My understanding is Clarence Thomas is, is likely to be sympathetic. Yes to the plaintiff, not a great fan of big tech. The interesting thing politically is where the left and the right on the Supreme Court will break. Yeah, that's right. Because again, uh, you know, my judge was considered, he was appointed
1: by Ronald Reagan. He was considered a conservative, but on uh, the first amendment, he was as libertarian as it gets. And that's true of a lot of Republicans. They can be strong free speech advocates uh, and Democrats can be strong free speech advocates too. So it may be that you know uh, the the sort of the the free speech folks on the court uh, would include some Republicans and most of the Democrats, but uh, in the middle there is where you're going to have some interesting uh, question about about where some of the more um, moderate Republican appointed justices would come out on this. I think I think that's you know I think you can probably count on all of the democratically appointed justices to be supportive of Section 230. Um, and maybe uh, one or two of the Republicans as well on sort of First Amendment libertarian grounds, and then whether you get a majority of, out of the rest is what will determine how that case is decided.
0: Why would the Democrats be sympathetic to um, to to to, to a, a part of the law that has created these trillion-dollar companies?
1: Uh, they wouldn't. It I wouldn't be on that basis. It would be on the basis of of sort of First Amendment first principles that uh, that uh, that you know uh, uh, companies uh, can censor whatever they want, uh, and the government can't compel compel you either to say certain things or not say certain things. So there's both you know uh, speech that is uh, required and speech that is forbidden. Uh, and if there's any hint in these cases that the, the ruling would suggest. Uh, the government can tell you, you must publish certain content, uh, or you must not publish certain content. Uh, Most, if not all, the Democrats would get very uncomfortable with that. And are
0: there Republican uh, members of the Supreme Court, perhaps appointed by Trump, who are pro-business, who simply don't want to interfere with this to undermine these powerful companies and interests?
1: Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, we don't really know, of course, some of the the most recently appointed justices didn't have much of a track record in terms of their published opinions and and published legal scholarship. So we don't really know much about uh, their point of view. Um, So it's possible that they're just very strongly pro-business. Uh, these days, I tend to doubt it. I, I think I think it's 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 now no longer, you know, as Herbert Hubert said, the, the business of No, it was a Calvin. Cool, well, one of them said the business of America is business. I, I don't think that, you know, that was Coolidge. Foolish. Thank you. I don't think that aligns anymore with any party. I don't think Republicans are all business is good. And I don't think, frankly, the Democratic Party is all business is bad. Uh, I think it's become much more subtle than that. and And, you know, where it is polarized is, uh, is is sort of in, in different ways, but it's not it's not along that axis anymore.
0: Well, finally, Larry, um, you've been a good sport here. It's so hard to predict. Uh, even chat GDP won't tell us what's going to happen in 2023. Had we been doing this show or when we did this show this time last year, Nobody would have predicted, I think, Musk acquiring Twitter and essentially decimating it or Bankman-Fried turning out to be Bernie Madoff-like in his creation of a Ponzi scheme. Uh, So it's always so hard to predict the future. Any counterintuitive senses about 2023, Larry, when it comes to big tech and policy and regulation? Anything that this time next year we might be scratching our heads and amazed with?
1: Yeah, I, I think, again, as I said before, but it's worth repeating is, I don't think that most uh, CEOs, not just tech companies, but I don't think most CEOs in the United States uh, of companies, multinational in particular, I don't think they understand that this uh, access of power has shifted from the feds to the states. Uh, I think that was lost in, in sort of, you know, this, this was in the, the gun control case, this was in the, um, in the reproductive rights case. Uh, And and a couple other cases that the Supreme Court, I don't think most CEOs understand that they should be paying closer attention to the states. And therefore, if anything really surprising happens in the legal front, it's going to be a state level regulation or state level law um, that's going to catch everybody by surprise. And which could potentially have national ramifications, because, of course, if you need to do business in a particular state, you have to modify your business practices accordingly. Uh, in some ways, it's become national law. And so whether that's financial in New York, whether that's you know tech-specific in California, whether that's speech or privacy-specific in Florida or uh, Texas, uh, if something big happens and it's surprising, it'll be surprising because no one was looking in the right place.
0: Which is always the case. It's always obvious to look after the event. You, uh, you lay it out in an interesting new piece in the MIT Sloan Management Review you wrote with... Blair Levine, another very influential Washington, D.C. tech insider. Every company needs a political strategy today, even more so in 2023, Larry, I assume. Absolutely. Excellent.